This gun sure looks deadly, but it's not the least bit deadly unless I point it at someone and pull the trigger. Gentlemen, this is Democracy Manifest. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Repeal of the 20th Century. With me, I have Hunter Hastings. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, yeah, this is Hunter Hastings. I'm a member of the Mises Institute. I help run a project there called Economics for Business, which we'll probably talk about a little bit today. Um, I was born in the UK. I traveled over here, and I'm a happy American now. <laughs> yeah, so I wanted to have you on because um, I think when we talk about economics, specifically people who are interested in the Mises Institute and interested in Austrian economics, uh, there's a lot of focus on the political aspects of economics. Um, but economics is not just a tool we use for politics, for analyzing the political realm. Um, it's also one we use, obviously, for the business realm. And uh, that's why I was always interested by economics for business. Because, you know, my personal interactions with business schools and um, how business teachers teach economics, it's, you know, very Keynesian in its approach and none of it seems very practical for businesses. But that seems to be the opposite of what economics for business is trying to do. So um, if you'd like, if you could just explain what economics for business is, is for people who are unaware of the project. Right. The purpose of economics for business is to help people in business apply economics uh, to advancing their, their business success. And it's, it's perfectly applicable for that because Austrian economics has a number of uh, attributes and, and areas of theory and study and, and tools that business people can use. And I'll, I'll I'll touch on those, but I just wanted to, before we do that, sort out a few things. So um, the term economics can be referred to a lot of, a lot of different uh, areas of that science, that body of work. I think of Keynesian economics as uh, government economics. I mean, that was the purpose that Keynes put his theory together, which was to justify government intervention in the economy and government management of the economy. It refers to aggregates. So you're talking about aggregated data like GDP and the unemployment level and, and money supply and those kinds of things, um, which are artificial. They're not, they're not real economic data, they're contrived economic data. And 
Austrian economics looks at the opposite. It starts with, with uh, what the academics call methodological individualism, which is people. All economic results are the results of individual actions and individual choices and individual preferences. Then you can roll that up into the next level of activity, which you might think of as the firm, which could be anything from a one-person firm to a small business to a mid-sized business to a, a big corporation. It's a single economic entity. And then from that, you get um, production, which is in the service of individual consumers. So if we, if we look at the kinds of elements that Austrian economics has to help businesses, um, the first is the understanding of value. And there's actually a lot of confusion about that. And business schools don't teach value creation. Uh, value is subjective in the Austrian theory. It's in the mind of the customer. And it's how customers make decisions about what they're going to buy, what they're going to consume, what they subscribe to. And if you understand that value, it's an experience. It's a, it's a feeling. Um, you wouldn't be obsessed with quantification. You'd be obsessed with empathy, with understanding how people think about value. What is value for their family? What is value for um, themselves? What is value for their community? It, it's a feeling, this subjective idea. Um, the second element of Austrian economics that is complementary to that is the idea of entrepreneurship. And entrepreneurship doesn't exist in mainstream economics, doesn't exist in Keynesian economics. But entrepreneurship, Ludwig von Mises said, is the driver of the entire market system. It's what we believe uh, drives value creation, drives uh, economics, drives civilization. And you can think of entrepreneurship on two levels. One is the function. So it's the function of understanding what customers find valuable and then rearranging resources, inventing new things, providing new services that will deliver that value to them. So entrepreneurship is what drives innovation, it drives growth, it drives uh, improvement for everybody. And then there's the individual, the entrepreneur, and it's somebody who, you know, in the Austrian theory, bears that risk, uh, i.e. is willing to go out and investigate what customers want, put together a uh, production function, a firm that will produce what they want, and take the rewards of the marketplace if you get those rewards, or the signals from the marketplace that, hey, that wasn't quite right, you need to adjust, you need to change. So if we can help businesses be more entrepreneurial, then we're going to help them succeed. We're going to help customers. We're going to help the economy. We're going to help civilization. And it's a, it's a service ethic. It's I want to help people's lives uh, get better. I want to help them improve. And so we we're encourage entrepreneurship. That's what we're trying to do. So all of those things, value and entrepreneurship and the subjectivism, the, the, the qualitative approach to making people's lives better. That's what economics can bring. And obviously that's very different from the mathematical economics of, of the mainstream. People aren't, aren't uh, functions in an equation. They're, they're people and we deal with them on that basis. Yeah, I, I think it is what separates uh, Austrian economics from a lot of other economics is really the approach 
true economics of thinking of this as you know individualism other schools sometimes employ methodological individualism but n never in a real way they still um, kind of go back on to uh, formulas and economic uh, these complicated formulas that they think can predict economic behavior and it's leaked into business school and to some extent too where you know they are being told all these formulas can predict what will happen in the market, what consumers, how consumers will respond, and everything. But the que uh, I know some business uh, school students question: so what's the point of accountants then? You know, what is the point of having someone who, you know, goes through the money and the prices and figures out that if we're going to also have an economist who's going to run all this data? Um, but I think economics for business as a project is is you know brunting that with the idea that you know more advisors on what actually we see in the market and then how should you respond to that by using the very simple concepts of value is subjective and um, entrepreneurs are the main drivers of innovation so I wanted to ask what are the pr practical things that the economics for business project is now doing to try to get those across and uh, make the business field more habitable for these ideas. Yeah, so the, just to touch on business school, I agree, Peyton, there's, there's two places where business schools go wrong in using economics. One is um, the way of looking at, at data, looking at what happened in the past and trying to project that into the future. And that's not the point of entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship is imagining the future first and then assembling the resources to go and achieve that future. So looking forward is the point, not uh, analytic, analytics of what happened in the past. And the second is the mathematization of it all, that uh, the future is unpredictable and you can't mathematicize it. So the whole idea of strategy and planning is, is uh, wrong. It's, you can't, that's prediction and control, which you can't have in economics. So we're trying to astronize the business school and we, we look at, um, the firm in, in five stages of the entrepreneurial journey. It's not, it's not sequential, it's gonna be recursive. You'll revisit each one at different stages, but the first is imagination. And the qualitative imagination of what's a better future for this customer. So it's a customer first approach. And that, that is now actually becoming quite, quite uh, pervasive in business. People are starting to understand that the customer is, is who we have to serve. And in Austrian economics is a concept called customer sovereignty, which as Mises put it, the customer decides what is produced and they do that by buying or not buying. So we put that at the front. We help people to understand how to define their customers and you define that by their needs and their wants and their preferences and understanding how you can help them meet those preferences. So another great insight of, of Mises was that it's discontent that causes people to act. They're trying to improve their current situation, which means that they're not happy with it. And so if you understand that, not try and understand what they're saying would be better, that that's a need, understanding their discontent. And then if you can describe that, then you can develop the 
um, the process of trying to, to solve that discontent. So the, that's the, the imagination part of the future, a complete imagination of what the future is going to look like. The next stage is a design stage. And because of customer sovereignty, the way, way that works is you work backwards. You start with the experience that the customer wants to have, and then you work backwards from that. And there's a value map that, that helps people to do that. There's a value proposition. And we, uh, we help people with those design artifacts, we call them design tools, so that you can design your way to this, to this better future. The next stage we call marketing. Marketing is the function that takes that, that concept to market. And one of the big insights that we draw from Austrian economics is that customer value is a process. It's a learning process. And the first step is the proposition. Customers have to look at that and say, is there anything in that for me? That's the subjective Valuation is kind of a yes or no, it's binary at the beginning. So you've got to do good advertising, good communication. The second is, is what's the relative value of that? I've got a lot of things I could do. That's what economists call scarcity. How do I decide whether this is better than buying something else or a competitor's offering or even than doing nothing, which is the, the, the default. So we help them assert relative value the exchange value is the money, the prices. How many dollars am I willing to give up to buy this service? And the customers decide what the price is. You don't, the entrepreneur doesn't. So it's a discovery. It's a very Hayekian process of discovery. How do you discover prices? Well, we have some tools for that. Then it's the experience itself. The, the customer consumes or uses or, or uh, brings the product or offering into their household or into our, their office, into their business. They have that experience and then they assess that experience after the fact. And they do that in context. You know, what, how was it? What has changed since then? Would I repeat? Would I become a subscriber? So we, we help businesses through that whole learning process. And the, the customer is learning what to want and the entrepreneur is telling them, here's what you can want because I just invented it. And so we, we show how to bring those together. So the whole customer experience is, is a focus. And then once you've established that, once you have a business model, then you can manage and grow it. And we've got some tools for, for management and growth. And so you, you mentioned something interesting, which is accounting and pricing. And so on. We, we've covered pricing, but accounting is Austrian too. It's subjective. It's a tool for the entrepreneur to do their economic calculation, as Mises called it. You know, if the customer sets the price, then I've got to choose the right resources that will make me a profit. Profit is the signal from the marketplace that you're using resources well. And so we even have some insights into how, how best to use accounting and economic calculation from a business standpoint. So it's a step-by-step, tool-by-tool process of, of creating value from a customer first standpoint. And we think it's pretty competitive with business school. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting um, going into pricing a little more about with the Austrian model because I think only under subjective pricing theory can we really explain some phenomenon. Like for example, I think a big thing that I've seen on Twitter people sharing has been um, Arizona iced tea has remained at 99 cents despite the fact that uh, 
we have you know 8.5 percent inflation I think is the current forecast and you know people ask well how could how is this possible how is it possible that a product is priced at this point when you know prices are rising across the board and I think it's only under an Austrian economics view and having s subjective value theory that we can explain this. And I think a lot of businesses are scratching their head too about how that's possible. And I kind of want to get your thoughts on that on what you thought about that and why that's possible and how businesses can, you know, take that information, extrapolate that example into their own business model. Yeah, the, the theory of prices that has been drummed into our heads by the mainstream media and business school and, and others is, is a cost plus approach to pricing. You know, that, that the entrepreneur figures out the cost and they add something to that and that becomes the, the price. So in inflation, costs are going up, so prices will go up. And, you know, that's the theory of the labor theory of value. It's very, very Marxian approach. And the opposite approach is that the customer or the consumer decides what the price is. They decide what they're going to pay. And the entrepreneur then chooses the, the costs of doing that in order to be able to make a profit. There's no one price. I mean, if you look around the marketplace now, I used to teach this in business school. You know, what's the price of 12 ounces of Coca-Cola? Well, if you walk down the hallway of your uh, hotel at two o'clock in the morning and, and buy it from a vending machine, it might be $5. And you're happy to do it because you woke up thirsty and it's the only, the only thing available. That's, that's, that's a value to you. If you go to the supermarket, you can buy six 12-pack cans for $1.99. Or if there's a coupon or a promotion, it might be for 99 cents. Those are all prices, but there, there's no one price. So it's all contextual. It's all about what's the value to the customer. And it's a discovery process, as, as Hayek said, and it's all going to change. So I don't know anything about the price of Arizona iced tea, but I do know that they'll, they'll have discovered from the signals that the, the customer sends that that's a price that will sell them some tea, and the customer will be happy. And, and uh, in context, it will, it will work. So that it's the... It's pricing as a signal. It's a signal of what the customer's prepared to pay in a context, in a situation. Doesn't mean they'll pay it tomorrow. Doesn't mean they'll, they'll switch if somebody offers a lower price. It's just a signal about the subjective choice of a customer at that moment in that context. Yeah, I think, I think that's very accurate to explain kind of why we see this, why we would see um, pricing of certain products not go up when the cost of uh, surely input costs for this good has gone up um, surely the cost of producing this good has gone up but yet the price remains the same and I think some people are quick to go well this is because of corporate greed oh it's corporate greed and this corporation is choosing not to be greedy um, but I think the way you lay it out is more accurate in that they found a price in which they can both sell that customers will buy it and buy it enough in that which they can still produce a profit. Um, because I think we see a lot of things where sometimes goods are sold um, below the cost or right at the cost of the good. And people ask, well, how how is that possible? How are we 
you know, how is a business making a profit off of that? But I think when you take the approach and you understand that, you know, value is subjective and that prices are the signaling device, these come into focus. But that's something current business schools can't really explain. And so a lot of businesses don't even do it. And I think that is uh, a bit troubling. So I kind of wanted to move into asking you about the state of business schools generally and, um, you know, do you see that these ideas are, are growing within business schools? Are, is the project being successful? Or is there a lot of work to still be done uh, in terms of turning the tide for how business schools teach about businesses, business cycles, the for formation of a firm? Yeah, it's always an error to generalize, I think, but I'll, I'll start with a generalization. All business schools are awful. And it's because that the, uh, a lot of their theories and practices emanate from mainstream economics. I mean, the, the mathematical way of, of thinking about things, the, the failure to understand subjective value and a qualitative approach to business. And the, they're trying to train CEOs for Wall Street. I mean, that's the, that's the effort. So it's all about finance and math and, and, and those kinds of things. Um, and we're trying to Austrianize the business school. We're trying to, trying to change that. Now that, that'll take a long time. Um, but some things are starting to, to change and soften. So the, the entrepreneurial idea is beginning to take some hold. They, they get it wrong in a lot of senses, but the essential idea that the entrepreneur finds a, uh, an opportunity to serve the customer better, serve the market better, is forcing them to open their eyes. Now, one of the interesting debates, for example, is, is the idea of opportunity. Is there a, an entrepreneurial opportunity? And the Austrian answer to that is no. Opportunity is an objective concept. It's like it's out there, you can grab it. Uh, and it never is. It's, it's co-created with the customer. You figure out the co-creation of value. Um, but business schools are starting to soften around the edges because of the, the uh, increase in thinking about, uh, about entrepreneurship. Um, but it'll take a long, long time. But I do believe that the customer centricity, customer first, how can I help my customer? Customers are the ones that decide the success of a business. That is starting to to have some influence. The second thing that's happening is there's a whole area of, of uh, advance around uh, Austrian economics. It's called complexity economics. And that's, that's thinking in systems. And one of the statements uh, I like is that firms don't innovate, systems do. And what they mean by that is competition. So business schools are starting to understand that competition is a positive idea of uh, rivalrous attempts by entrepreneurs to better serve the, the customer. And that's where innovation comes from. It comes from Austrian style uh, competition, not competition red in tooth and claw, as the Marxists would say, but competition is trying to do better to serve the customer. So I think there's some improvement around the edges, but I, I think business schools generally are pretty awful still.
um, I think what you're saying is a general problem with academia in general, and I think it's interesting that um, we're seeing it in the business school as much as we do, considering that what the business school's purpose is and the kind of people it generates, um, that being entrepreneurs or managers of firms. And I, I wanted to ask you if you think that has affected the way that firms behave, if you think that um, the failures of business schools can can be in some part tra- um, trace as a cause of much of the behavior that people find firms engaging in as, as bad practices or, or doing unethical things. And do you think that may start in the way that business school is kind of structured in the things that they teach? Yeah, I do. I think a lot of the bad practices, certainly at the, the corporate level, uh, do emanate from business school. I mean, one, one example is the, the focus on total shareholder return. I mean, it's a big debate in business, but total shareholder ma- return is a greed machine. It's, it's uh, not focused on the customer. It's focused on the, the shareholders and the, the managers who get rewarded in return for um, generating total shareholder return. It, it's not customer centric. It's not customer first. It's not good for, for society or, the, or civilization. I think a lot of that emanated from business school. And now they've developed or at least contributed to the development of the whole stakeholder capitalism debate and ESG. ESG is an evil anti-capitalist concept that that, uh, the goal of a firm is not to create and and serve a customer, but to mollify a whole raft of stakeholders, including climate change activists and and uh, governments and uh, all kinds of other NGOs and, and audiences. So I, I think concepts like that come out of business school. And I do think that it affects how, how corporations work. And then there's the, the whole crony capitalism approach, which I'm not sure that's the right, the best term, but as firms get bigger, they, have to develop more bureaucracy in order to comply with regulation. They start to write the regulations themselves. They start to merge the corporate function and the governmental function. And they teach that in business school, the whole HR uh, compliance and the the, um, financial regulation compliance. They're teaching all of that in business school. They're, They're saying, hey, it's smart to be close to the government. They're teaching lobbying, they're teaching that kind of uh, collaboration. So yeah, I think a lot of bad stuff comes out of business school and we see it in society. We suffer from it every day. Yeah, I, I think that is certainly true because I think a lot of the ideas that, that the plague corporate America now are ideas that were formed in you know the universities and formed in these business schools. Um, and I think that w- if we're going to get at the root of what is wrong with corporations, I think you can't talk about, can't not talk about um, business schools and the role that they play in academia in general. Um, and and I, remember also, it's not just teaching students that it's very profitable for the business schools to provide what they call executive education. 
So, you know, you take your CFO and your head of HR and you, you send them to the business school for a, a week seminar or maybe a, a semester and uh, they get their certificate, they're imbuing all of that stuff as well. So it's not just the, the students who are going off to work for Goldman Sachs, but it's the executives who are getting coached as well. So it, it's, uh, it's, it's very pervasive. Yeah, I, I think like even because I think I've seen data before that, you know, um, a good portion of entrepreneurs, I think even around half, you know, never end up really going to business school, but at some point they end up interacting with it um, at some point. Uh, the, you know, the bigger their firm is going to get, the more likely they're going to interact with it and its apparatus. And so I think it, it, it bleeds through whether we want it or not or whether we intend it for it or not. And right. so I think it, it's an area that's been under underlooked at as a place that we should target as Austrians in order to permeate our ideas throughout society, which is why I'm very glad that we have a project like Economics for Business. Um, so the last thing I kind of wanted to touch on is get into some of the specific ongoing projects that Economics for Business has going on right now to kind of permeate these ideas more in business schools? Well, we're, there's two major focuses. One is our website, econforbusiness.com, which is uh, an accumulation of Austrian knowledge arranged around that entrepreneurial journey metaphor that I, I talked about earlier. There's a, a just a, a plethora of, of information in different forms in what we call tools and content, we're going to be adding videos. We're going to be adding some courses. We, importantly, we're trying to build a community where um, entrepreneurs can talk to each other, share experiences, ask questions of each other, and start to build an entrepreneurial community that way. Um, in the future, we'd see conferences and seminars, maybe even an MBA at the, the Mises Institute. That would be possible, have our own MBA. And of course, at the same time, we've got professors who are teaching in business schools now we've got uh, Per Byland at Oklahoma State, we've got Peter Klein at Baylor, we've got Mark Packard at uh, University of Nevada, Reno, we've got Mark, Mark McCaffrey at University of Manchester in, in uh, the UK and a whole bunch of others. Those are the names that, that come to mind immediately. So we've, we've got more and more um, professors in business schools, not in the uh, economics department, but in the business school department. I, I always remember Walter Block saying to me once that the business school has actually been more friendly to the uh, Austrian school than, than the economics department has. So uh, it's the right place to be. And then we're, we're, what we're trying to develop, you, you started at the beginning today, Peyton, talking about, about the politicization of, of economics. And I'm in the camp that says 100% economics, 0% politics. And if you think about an entrepreneurial society, um, what would that look like? So if everybody was thinking entrepreneurially, you'd be looking to serve customers. You'd be looking to uh, build businesses that were respected. They're, they're loved. They're not uh, hated in the, the Marxist sense as being exploitative. Everybody would be helping everybody else. There'd be innovation, there'd be growth, there'd be productivity, there'd be, there'd be profits. And I think an entrepreneurial society is actually a better way to libertarianism than, than politics or any other way to get there. So we're trying to develop this idea of the, the, the entrepreneurial society 
while helping all of these these businesses grow. And I think the world is moving in our direction because as as the network starts to take off, it business structure will start to be more and more small companies, which are highly specialized in a you know, in a very Hayekian kind of sense, integrating with each other. You can access capital much more easily than you can now, whether it's it's Kickstarter or or you know other forms of venture capital online, fintech, and and that kind of thing. Um, you can download scale, so Amazon Web Services will sell you all the computing power you need. And uh, I was looking at a beautiful thing that Amazon does the other day, which was uh, it's called Ground Station, where you rent satellite time. You need you need satellite time, you can buy it you know, three minutes of it for a few bucks. Um, but things like this, building your supply chain from from Asia to the US automatically online. So the the institutions of entrepreneurship are becoming better and better, I think. So we see this entrepreneurial society, we see this new structure for business with less corporates and more uh, mid-sized businesses. We see more creativity, we see more innovation, all built on the the austrian foundation so we're, we're excited about what's happening yeah i and based off that i am very excited as well and i think it is a good project and one that i think you're showing has some fruit to it and uh that's why i wanted to bring it to people's attention so much so um now i kind of wanted to give you the floor to uh promote your own stuff obviously you're going to promote economics for business but any other things that you know you wanted to get out there to make my uh viewers aware of um well i'm i'm very focused so uh we'd like people to visit our website and and give us feedback one of the the great uh accelerators of entrepreneurial excellence is getting feedback from customers so uh let us know what you see there, it's econ, E-C-O-N, the number four, business.com. Um, and look around, go explore and see what you can find. We'd, we'd like to um, build it with, with people's help. And you can find me at hunter at mises.org, M-I-S-E-S.org. And I occasionally scribble at hunterhastings.com. So you can go there and visit as well. But the main thing is econ for business. Yeah, and I will make sure to include all those things in the descriptions of the releases of this video. Um, but I want to thank you again for coming on so much, and uh, I want to wish you a very happy day. Good. Well, thank you, Peyton. Thanks for what you do. I, I love your YouTube channel, and I've really enjoyed watching your interviews. And uh, keep going. I love what love what you've achieved. Thank you.